This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast. It's a big one today. This is podcast number 78. It is brought to you by the great people at Bet Rivers. It is Tuesday, May 9th, and uh, we are about to set the stage for NBA Playoff Eastern Conference Semifinals Game 5. The Sixers at the Boston Celtics. And the Sixers tonight, according to our Bet Rivers app, are a seven and a half point underdog. We will address that in a second. Joining us in a bit will be the great Tom McGinnis, Sixers radio play-by-play man who has been doing it for a long time. And if you listen to these games in this series, he has been on his game with excitement. Uh, so let's get it going. Uh, game five, Sixers and Celtics. So can the Sixers rebound after a big win in game four, go up to the Boston Garden, carry that momentum, and sting the Celtics in game five? If they do, they win the series. Now, tonight is going to be tough for them to win at that line. Uh, if you play the lines, that's a tough game. Maybe that means the Sixers are going to have to win a game seven uh, and take momentum from game six back to Boston. But let's look at tonight's game and see if they can pull this off. Uh, of course, it, they're going to need a big effort from somebody. Uh, James Harden had 42 in game four after we pronounced them dead. Uh, Embiid with 34. However, fourth quarter of fatigue. The final 12 minutes, he really wasn't there. One for six in the fourth quarter, clearly fatigued. He said it after the game that he was fatigued. And... Um, uh, in the fourth quarter, he he seemed to have no jump, no mobility. He got his shot blocked a few times by by Al, Al Horford. Uh, but let's let's focus on Harden first. So it, it looks like Harden when he when he has a big game, he had a big game in Game One. It took him several days to recover for him to have that big game in Game Four. That's a couple days rest in there. So maybe it, that we we need to look at it like okay, he needs a maybe Game Six he, he explodes, but it won't be Game Five. I don't know about this guy anymore. When I count him out and I say. That 45 game in game one, 45 point game in game one cooked him. I, I guess I was wrong because he came back with another big effort to get 42 in game four to tie the series. So maybe he's got something left. I'm thinking maybe he needs an extra couple of days. 
Uh, Joel Embiid, same thing. I, I don't know what his conditioning is to the point where if he's got the gusto he needs in the fourth quarter to carry this through. Uh, those two guys, by the way, in game four, accounted for two-thirds of the team's scoring. So somebody else has to come up big tonight. Um, is it Tobias Harris? I mean, listen, I don't know, man. I Is it Maxi? Again, I, I don't know. I mean, it looks like Maxi allows himself to be overmatched in, in big, intense playoff games like this. And they're going to have to get him engaged because I think Maxi's got to be an X factor in this game tonight. He's got to get 25 tonight. And Tobias Harris has to get 20. These guys have to contribute to lessen the load. Because you know what Boston's going to do in this game tonight? They're going to blitz both Harden and Embiid, especially Embiid. They know they can wear him down. I, I would expect that they're not going to single cover him like they tried to in game four. They're going to gang him. They're going to double and sometimes triple team him and make sure they've got emphasis on Harden. That leaves a couple of other guys open because you can't cover everybody on the floor. Now, you don't have to guard uh, P.J. Tucker, but you have to be aware now if you're going to gang Embiid and you're going to gang Harden, uh, Tobias Harris is going to get shots. He's going to get space to maneuver into shots. And Maxie's going to get space to get to the basket or to take three-point shots, which he desperately needs to do. Off the bench, can I count on the Yang in the Boston Garden? I don't know. He made three threes at the Wells Fargo Center. That was all well and good. I don't know if I can count on the Yang. Can I count on Melton? It looks like Melton is fatigued. You know, Melton used to be able to give them 20. Uh, but off the bench, he, he hasn't been able to give them much. So um, that's the outlook for tonight's game. Here's what I'm worried about with the Celtics. They sometimes put on the, the Boston Blitz in front of their home crowd. They, they, they really steamroll. When they get it going, they can really get it going in front of a home crowd. Uh, and they're dangerous. And I call it the Boston Blitz because they, they seem to come in waves uh, at that point. They, they got that security to the home crowd behind them. That's what I worry about. Can the Sixers quell that? Um, all right, let's look back at game four a little bit because I want to I look in retrospect at how the Sixers won this game. And, of course, they, they get it in, into overtime. Look at the Harden three-pointer that actually won the game. And then the trip down, the Boston did not get a shot off. Um, so let's first look at the Harden three-pointer. The Sixers get the ball to Embiid in the proper spot. Uh, and, and at that point, it, he doesn't have – I'm looking at the play like, oh, you've got to power that to the basket and qu go quick. But I'm thinking – he's in his mind thinking, I don't have that. So he he allowed himself to kind of to get double teams that just – Getting it, getting it right to the basket and maybe getting a foul on Horford. Jalen Brown comes over on a double team. Now, Jalen Brown said after the game that it was a bad read. I'm not so sure it was a bad read because Harden is sitting in a corner. There's no other dangerous player on the floor at that point to make a shot than James Harden. So, um, so Jalen Brown has two choices. Does he let Al Horford single up on Embiid and uh, – chances are an official going to call foul there or does he double him in hopes that maybe Embiid forces a shot and doesn't see that Harden uh is in the corner alone or that Jalen Brown thinks he can recover enough to get back to that spot if Embiid throws the pass there well anyway he said it was a bad read um and and Harden makes a shot however I'm also looking at the play going Jalen Brown's responsibility is to make it harder for Embiid that's actually a good thought where is the other perimeter player who sees Harden in the corner? Like, 
the other perimeter player, who are you afraid to leave in that in that spot? Like you've got maybe you've got maybe Maxi in the vicinity, you've got maybe Tobias Harris in the vicinity. Are, are, and you got Harden in the corner. Are are you gonna make a decision to my best play here is to focus Harden? That's the easiest three pointer you can make on the floor is the one in the corner. So if Harden's gonna give up that shot, I win. Even if he gives it up to, to Maxi or Tobias Harris, that's a less percentage shot that they're going to make than it is if I gang Harden. So Boston, I think, messed that play up a hundred different ways, and uh, that's which leads me to Joe Mazzulla. Joe Mazzulla, as the coach of the Celtics, I try not to get into a position where I look at a guy and I I don't like this guy, and it's probably unfair because I don't like Joe Mazzulla because he's an arrogant uh, son of a gun. And uh, I, I, I judge that because how he handles the media. And I probably shouldn't judge that because it probably has nothing to do with whether he's a good coach or not. But I'm slanted against him for that reason, as I think a lot of people are, uh, because he made the mistake of getting snarky with the press the other day, a battle you can't win when everybody's talking about the adjustments that he doesn't make. He took it real personally. He's a 34-year-old kid. He's not a wise sage anymore where he's going to say, that guy doesn't know about basketball, so why would I even care what his opinion is? But I'm programmed against him. And maybe the people in Boston are as well because he seems to be a guy learning on the job. Let's look at the last possession. The last possession, and I've been hearing it from everybody who has any association with basketball, that you take two chances and that's better than one. You take two chances – you get off a shot quicker. Even if you if you get a shot off quicker and you don't, first of all, you can make it. Second of all, if you don't make it, you got a chance for an offensive rebound and, and a kick out another chance. Um, uh, or uh, you can, they get the rebound and you foul. They make two, you still have a chance. You still have seconds on the clock to make it three to tie, tie the game. Uh, or you call a timeout. And you got two left. If you call timeout, you advance it in half court, you figure out what you're going to do. He elected not to do it. All right, so maybe he has more faith in his team. Without a timeout, you're catching the defense off guard. Jason Tatum is a great player. He can make a play. Well, Jason Tatum is logging the the, the basketball at the top of the key as if he doesn't know how many seconds are left. So he starts late. When you start late, you're now in desperation. So he starts late. He knows, oh, my God, a few seconds left. I got to get it to the basket. He gets into the basket. The defense floated. Jason Tatum's got the ball. They're going to flow towards Jason Tatum. So now you got two choices. If you're Jason Tatum, you go, I cook my own goose here. Now I got to go stronger in the basket. And if I go stronger in the basket, I may make the shot or they're going to call foul, which they probably would have done if he went hard to the basket. Instead, he panics. The great Jason Tatum, superstar, panics, gets caught in the air, has to fling it out to Marcus Smart, who does not have enough time to get off the three-point shot. So I look at Tatum and I go, that's your fault, Holmes. And, and, and everybody in Boston going, well, it's Missoula's fault. Uh, all right, maybe it is Missoula's fault. Maybe the strategy was wrong. He was counting on Tatum to make a play there. He put the ball in the hands of his best player to make a play, thinking that the Sixers defense would not be set because they would expect me to call a timeout. So I don't know if I can blame Missoula in that situation, but I'll certainly blame Jason Tatum, which gets me to this next point about Boston. They're an up-and-down team. Yeah, I'm worried about the Boston Blitz in the TD Garden. But I'm looking at Tatum and Brown, and I'm going, are these guys really star players? They're certainly good players. Jason Tatum has disappeared in a couple of moments in this series. He disappeared for an entire game 
in game one, and then he disappeared in an entire half in game number four where the Sixers tie it. And yeah, uh, he finished with 24 points and 18 rebounds. So I, maybe I look like an idiot here. But he he was a non-factor in that first half where the Sixers had the lead. That's where they needed him. Uh, Jalen Brown, who I really like as a player, he comes out like gangbusters. He's got like 18 points in the first half. He disappears completely in the second half, finishes with 23. He's their star player. They have been relying in this series on the also-rans, the Marcus Smarts of the world, the Derek Whites of the world, the, the maybe the Grant Williams of the world, Robert Williams. All these guys have had to save their bacon in this series. So I look at it and go, okay, here's the Boston Blitz. They play better in front of a home crowd. They're a seven-and-a-half-point favorite tonight. Can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, these flimsy-type stars, carry them through in this game, or can the Sixers steal game five and take control of the series? Let me go to producer Darren. Darren, how are you feeling about this? Well, I'll throw a couple numbers at you here, Mike. Uh, some game five numbers, and you tell me what you think with this. Okay, these Sixers have lost their last five I'm sorry, lost their last six game fives. Last six in a row. They have not beaten Boston in a game five since the year 1980 of our Lord. So what does that worry you? And should no, it? That, see, that's a stat that doesn't make any sense to me because these, these are different teams. So it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Uh, it, 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 it matters if this team loses game five and they have that kind of a track record to lose game five. But they, those are just trend numbers that don't mean anything. To me. I, I, I don't they're think harrowing, the though. Sixers, they're harrowing numbers. I, yeah, but I, they don't really apply. Um, the, what applies here is whether Harden and MB can bounce back, whether Tatum and Brown can still play it, at a flimsy level at home. That's the only chance the Sixers have to win game five. My sense is they won't win game five, that they're going to have to win a game seven in Boston. And then we'll have, when that comes, we'll just have to, you know, look at it. I said to you the other day, the MVP is going to have to win a game for them. I know he's hurt. I know he's not at a hundred percent. He's going to have to take over and win one game at least on his own in this series. If the Sixers are going to advance. I think it's going to be tonight. I don't don't know if they're going to win, but I think his best game is going to be tonight. I don't think he's capable of that in in his condition against double and triple teams. I I just don't. Boston is not going to allow that to happen. Boston is not going to allow him to score 45 to 50 points. It's just not going to happen in this type of series. And I don't think he's physically capable of that. So it comes down to who else can make some shots. And I don't have a lot of confidence in the Tobias Harris's and the Maxies to make enough shots or – and, and then I got to get to another level with Harden because I haven't seen that yet. It looks like he needs two, three days to recover from great performances. So uh, if they're going to win this series, I think they're going to have to win it in a game seven. Seven and a half, the Bet Rivers number is tonight as the Mike Missnally podcast, of course, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Um, that's a telling number. And I don't go against telling numbers. I would love the Sixers to win this game. Um, I don't think they are going to win this game. So that's my read on game five. That doesn't mean the series is over if they lose tonight. They got to bounce back at home with game six and then hope that momentum and hope another couple days of Harden being rested 
can get them to, to a win in game six. And then game seven, well, I don't know what the line will be for that. Um, we'll get, I don't even want to address a game seven at this particular point. All right, so game five is tonight. We're all anticipating it. And, uh, and that's that. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, next up on the Mike Nussanelli podcast, a, uh, a really enlightened guest, and we're glad to have him. Uh, he is the play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia 76ers on radio 25 years now. I remember it was just yesterday that Tom McGinnis took the microphone and he joins us right now. Tom, how you doing? Great, Mike. Thank you for having me. And I hate to be that guy, but it's 28 years. 28? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I lost track. Is it 28 years? Yeah. It's definitely. hard to believe. I swear to God, because I, I remember right. when you first came on the scene, and now 28 years have gone by. Right. And uh, you uh, uh, just have created a niche in this market for your play-by-play. And people all over the Delaware Valley uh, do your, are you kidding me? Uh, you got the signature thing going. You're, I was listening to, to game three. Uh, on the radio, I was driving down the shore to ke- and then catch the, the, the telecast. You were like, I swear to God, now you're usually shot out of a cannon. But that night, you were crazy shot out of a cannon. Have you have you upped your game for this Boston series? Oh, well, I just think the playoffs in general, um, and I appreciate that, Mike, everything, your sentiments. But the playoffs, it just, that is a good phrase, like shot out of a cannon, because the intensity, what's at stake you know, like somebody we were talking last night after dinner here in the North End and somebody was saying like, what, see, I guess this, it might've been Sixers.com. They did a poll, like, what do you like better of the off season, post season, regular season, preseason? And like, it brought to mind, like the preseason, we played a game and, you know, we don't play as many games, but the preseason was in Cleveland and, you know, like Cleveland is on the rise. You're thinking we might, it's certainly the way the regular season, we might be here for the playoffs <clears throat> and just walking into the hotel in Cleveland in early October, September, whatever it was October. And to me, that's like the price you pay to be here now, like eight months later, seven months later, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, like I, I just, the playoffs and, for sure, Boston, because, you know, let's face it, there's a little trepidation. These guys have really done well against the Sixers, the Celtics. Um, And yeah, like just the energy in the building. And it just, I think anybody would be like that. It just pours through you. And, you know, hopefully you try to convey that during the course of the broadcast. Uh, Tom McGinnis, um, interesting because we always talk about players getting up for a game. And uh, I, I assume broadcasters do the same thing. You're, you're very well prepared, but you're a mild-mannered guy. And, and I remember, like, during my career, going into a radio booth, I'm going, I, I don't have anything today. You know, I, you know I, I'm not, like, a rabid guy off the air. So, I, But somehow, when the microphone turns on, something clicks, and bang, it, something comes out of you. Is, is that the way it works for you? Well, the difference in what you just described for yourself in pre- preparing for a studio show and what I'm doing is there's 10 guys running around in shorts out there. You know what I mean? Like there's a competition. And, and I I was a sportscaster, uh, you know, and I guess I still am. I am. But like for 10 years, I was in television. And, you know, so it's totally different. Whereas when my when the news was over and my sportscast was over and it became 1130, you were done and you walked away. Whereas this is 
But oftentimes, having said that, you covered a game. Like some of my time was in Florida, and we covered Florida State. So they play Miami, and it's an afternoon game on Saturday. And you might do a live shot, but the real delivery is the 11 o'clock news. So you had to wait. Whereas this, as you know, as a writer, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that, that part about the anticipation, like, like this is a slow roll all day. Like, you know, we, we're speaking here the morning of game five. It doesn't do me any good to get all excited until 7.30 the night of the game. And even then, you're communicating. So if I'm so excitable that you can't, like, geez, you can't even understand what he's saying. Like, you know what I mean? You still have to communicate. There's still like a, not to be all arty or dramatic, but there's still an art form of the, the delivery so that when you are, you know, blasting down the Atlantic City Express where you can figure out when you can kind of envision what's going on. Um, that's where I'm lucky. I'm grateful. There is a story playing out in front of me and you speak to the preparation. That preparation helps to inform the whole deal. But really, when Harden gets squared up with Al Horford at the top of the arc, that I'm just like everybody else watching that thing unfold with the inherent drama, and I get to call it. It has nothing. That preparation is you got to meet the moment. So, you know, it's the NBA playoffs, and this is what I do. I'm like, I'm not – I don't work for Roto-Rooter till 5.30 and then roll down to the state. And, like, I'm getting – this is what I do, so I'm going to be fired up when it comes time. Because let's face it, it's entertainment. Like, and you better bring a little excitement, and uh, hopefully I do that. How did you uh, manage the moment when the ball kicks out to Marcus Smart there just a tick late as he releases it? Did you have that all the way? I just – somebody played the call earlier today. I'm like, God, I guess that was all right because it's so loud. You couldn't hear the whistle. And, you know, we certainly in the last whatever it's been, eight or ten years with that TSO shot clock – not just the numbers, but the red illuminated dots around it. That's a big thing. And that, for me, is kind of what triggered that it was a little bit late. Um, but, boy, for all intent, for a split second, well, two-tenths of a split second, it looked like that was a game winner. And yet, you know, obviously, it, as you say, it was two ticks too late. So I didn't think I did, but then hearing it again, I was – all over. But then again, you're still waiting for that official proclamation from the referee, you know, where I guess he, he made the safe signal and Doc Rivers was doing the same. But how about that? You think Tatum wishes he would have shot that? In here in Boston, Missoula's taking a lot of heat yeah. for not taking a timeout when he had two, and they could have conceivably gotten two possessions. And I think one of the big takeaways here locally in Boston is. Boy, you hate to see your coach learning on the job in the guts of a big-time playoff game. Yeah, uh, yeah, he blew that, and, and and they went too late, first of all, and and then Tatum instead of going hard at the basket, kicks it. Out. Yeah, it was a mess, but it was to the Sixers' advantage. So I want to ask you about tonight's game, and we're we are doing this on a Tuesday morning, the the the, uh, the day of the game, the night of the game. Uh, the Sixers are heavy underdog tonight. Uh, so that means that, that the, what, the, the odds makers don't believe there's going to be a carryover from how they survived that game. What do they have to do tonight? What do you expect Boston to counter with? Well, you know, I think in a general way, without totally getting into like the X's and the O's and everything, the Sixers, they're going to need like, I don't know if it's hard with 40 some again, 
but they're going to need something. Let's face it. Like Boston had more wins. Boston won the season series. Boston dominated game two. They probably for like the preponderance of the, they probably had the lead more. So the Sixers are going to need some break out of the box type of whether it's Maxi with 35 or Tobias has 20 summer. DeAnthony Melton goes five for five in the first or the fourth quarter, like he did in Brooklyn. And you know what I mean? Like something like that. Um, if they're going to break the mold, and as you say, if they're underdogs, uh, pull off an upset. I think Joel has gotten better and better as the series has gone along. So it might be Embiid with with a monster game. He's been pretty good so far. And, you know, in his defense, you're watching him at times, you totally forget that the guy's playing with a bad knee, which is pretty remarkable. But I can't give you the specifics, but it, it's going to have to be like something a little bit out of the charts, off the charts that we didn't expect. Maybe Niang gets five threes or, you know, like I said, like it's it's Joel or in, in Harden. We'll see. But it's going to have to be something like that because they're going to bring it. And they've had balance and their guys have been pretty reliable throughout the series in terms of their first seven. Yeah, Joel getting 34 in that game and obviously fatigued at the end. And he, he even admitted that. So. Uh, we hope that doesn't happen again, and he's got the requisite energy. And and the Harden thing, it looks like when he has a performance like that, he needs several days to recover. So yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. Let me let me talk about the path of your career because I think it's uh, uh, it's a pretty amazing path, and it's it's a it's an old school path. Now, kids today, you know, look at your path, and they go, "Really? I'm not doing that." They, you know, they think they be, can, can step in like right away, right out of college. So yeah, you are from a smaller town in Illinois. You played basketball in college. Uh, and then you decided this is what you wanted to do. Uh, when did that idea kick in? And uh, you you have zigzagged across the country doing lower level things to get to where you are. So try to d- describe the uh, in, in you know briefly the path uh, that, that you took. Well, and I appreciate that, Mike. the The first thing would be like where the seed happened for me. And as you say, I grew up in Illinois, so my father would take me to the Chicago Stadium. And again, uh, I'm of a certain age. So this was before Michael Jordan. And, you know, this this stuff you can't even do today. You'd be escorted out by Homeland Security. But I would jump over the hockey boards and go down and rebound. Not every game, but for the visiting team. I was smart enough not to do it for the Bulls. And I, again, was a young basketball player, so I looked the part. And eventually I would get the boot, and I would just go back up and sit with my dad. And he was like, wow, that'd be a pretty good run. And we're talking like Rick Barry and the Warriors. Uh, Dennis Johnson was on the Phoenix Suns at the time. And I was just like, I would listen to the guys talking. And like in the case of DJ, he was telling a story. And he couldn't even remember what town they were in, where the story originated. Like, Dad, he couldn't even, he couldn't even tell what town he was in. So I got bit by the NBA bug. And the, and the stadium wasn't exactly real well lit like the Spectrum back in the day or, or the convention center. It wasn't. Uh, but that's where and, and then having been a young basketball player and had some success, that's where I, I found a love for NBA basketball. So I go out and I do this TV thing. And then at a certain point, and this was at the start of like ESPN uh, in the early 80s. And, you know, like I was a small market television broadcaster and you know, what was I going to end up in like Columbus or Raleigh or who knows? But, I, you know, in a certain way, I figured you needed to be a specialist. And I, I went to the CBA and I, I left for a major, you know, I wasn't making a lot of 
company as a TV guy. But, you know, I, I started making $75 a game in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay. And Jar commuting our first game was like in Rockford, Illinois, which by the way, I was back in the Midwest after having been in the Suns and within shooting distance driving wise. And I knew when I was on that bus, I had found my home. Like I, uh, this is what I want to do. And I went to the CBA and not like a college team or whatever. The same. It was the developmental league. Uh, certainly players got called up. And as it went on, front office people, broadcasters, referees also got the call. So I had to get the experience and that's what happened, you know, and eventually I got to a bigger market in Cleveland and made the jump uh, right when the center, my first year was in the spectrum. So it was kind of like the combination of a dream, having a bit of an ability to do it in that I played, I knew the game a little bit and then, you know, was becoming a seasoned broadcaster and Mike, you'll appreciate this. Our old buddy Tom Bigby sat me down, and when I first got there, and you know how his style was, and he told me point blank across the desk, "You're not an NBA broadcaster." And he's right; I had yet to call a game. It was whatever it was, like September or August of 1995. But he was talking to a former jock who has, just like the rest of us, a pretty solid competitive streak in in him. And I, I really almost didn't even answer. And I basically was in my mind saying, you'll find out. You know what I mean? Like, so I never take it for granted. I, you speak of driving. I drive to the game at times. And, you know, you got to self-motivate a little bit. Sometimes I'll say, like, you haven't done anything yet, like, to me. Like, well, you know, what have you done for me lately? And <laughs> you're just striving for perfection. It never happens. But it, that's one of the things that kind of keeps you going. And, you know, you, it's, it's a, in a way... And again, not trying to be overly dramatic, but it's a performance. You know what I mean? You're you're an entertainer. Like, yeah, we're describing basketball and, and all that. But, you know, you try to capture something while you're doing it. Uh, I was reading a story recently where uh, our, the ironic crossing of paths, semi-crossing of paths of you and, and Tom McCarthy in Charleston uh for some reason and, and, and like how did how did that happen you went down there and uh you you found a guy that uh, you saw maybe as a mentor yeah no it wasn't a mentor so like you mike he was a columnist for in this case the charleston post and courier and i i mentioned the cba and our season was 56 games in the playoffs and the one year we won the championship which was awesome and we played 70 games but I would having my TV career started in Charleston. And so I would go back there on vacation. I still have a lot of friends. there. The fact that we had training camp there this year was, Oh man, was that a bonus for me? I loved it. Uh, to be going back to where I started almost 40 years ago, but I love baseball. That, that was like my second love. And, and, as it was written in Matt Breen's uh, piece in the inquirer, like, you know, and you know, the drill, like you need a tape. That's that's how you sh- show your where shop your wares. So uh, and I had a basketball tape because I had done these games in the CBA and I obviously had the TV tape and the TV tapes. I used to send out, you know what I mean? Like so many you get so used to rejection. But unfortunately, Mike, a lot of those letters came back from the news director's secretary and you'd see in the bottom corner SL. Well, it was it stood for standard letter. <laughs> Thanks, pal. But. The broadcasting with Richard Jablonski, I, I went there and, you know, he's calling these games. He had 
you know, I think he was just, I don't know that he was trying to be a big league broadcaster, but he let me set in. I was trying to make a baseball tape and he was doing all these games. I think they played like 142 games and nothing for me, nothing came of it. I never got a tape out of that. Tom did. I didn't even, I didn't even know that I ran into Tom at the citizens bank park and he, and he shared that with me. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Uh, but it helped for him. He got the Trenton Thunder job yes. and the rest is history. For me, like I remember one, we went up to, I, I didn't go on road games. Like I wasn't going to Macon. Uh, but, and also, by the way, I covered that team as a, as a TV guy. I, I'd been to College Park dozens and dozens of times because the Citadel played there. They played pretty high level baseball. They played against North Carolina, doubleheaders with Jack. The Richard Jablonski thing was just, in like, like I said, the summer I came down, I was doing nothing. I'd go to the beach, and then he let me get on there. But we went up to Myrtle Beach to Conway, South Carolina, where the Chanticleers of whatever it is, South Carolina, that one uh, school down there. But this was minor league baseball, and I got this home run call. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be able to put something on my tape. But the booth had this, like, three-inch plexiglass, and you couldn't even hear, like, the crack of the bat or anything. It sounded like I did the game in the studio. But, but I did it at the vet. I did it at Fulton County Stadium, you know, like I was I was trying to get a baseball tape as well in case that was the path. But, yeah, that was a that was really neat. And I know Tom pays homage to Richard greatly. And I certainly appreciate it. Really, it says a lot about him that he was willing to let two young guys sit in the booth with him. We're talking to the great Tom again. It's Tom. I, uh, just briefly, um, you get the job with the Sixers. And uh, I know this is a major, major step. Uh, so um, they they hire you and, and you replace uh, Gurevich. And it, did they make it clear to you that you were going to do it solo? Because now you've carved out this tremendous niche of you doing it solo and you doing everything, which is really difficult. I mean, you don't find that anymore. I know you had Tom McCulloch for a little while, but was that presented to you as a solo job? Well, I'll say this. Uh, yes, I guess so. It actually never came up big way, but it, it does weigh in a little bit. And again, this is three ownership groups ago. And Harold Katz was the then owner. And I remember like my, my, my big negotiation was um, like we got to the end of the chat. And clearly, as you say, I, I just wanted to get the job because I was, you know, from a minor league announcer to the big leagues. And it was my big break and still is. It's like I won the lottery. Um, but I go... And what about the money? And he goes, the money? The money's just the money. In other words, the salary's not budging. You're working for Harold. Harold Ketch, the salary is the salary. I'm like, okay, that's good. All right, good. That's the money's the money. So what I'm saying is there wasn't another, you know, $500,000 in the coffers for a color commentator. And it had been done. The one thing that, and, and like a lot of different teams use one announcer. Maybe not in a market the size of Philadelphia, but certainly on the road, sometimes they don't travel um, a color commentator and the guy will maybe be paired at home with um, with an expert. That's what I say. These guys are experts. They roll out of bed and they know way more about basketball than we do just because of, they played the game. Um, but it has worked out. There's a lot to get in. I get it, the whole repartee between two people and especially two in like reviews and, and late game situations. But 
you know, like this will probably be, I don't know, somewhere the 118th playoff game I've called. And, you know, I've called close to 2,500 games and been around a little bit. So you, you become a sort of an analyst. And I try to chime in like right after a basket with what a com- an, an NBA analyst would say. Uh, and again, there's so many things to get in. And, and it's worked out. And I like it. It's not about, oh, I get more airtime. It's not. It's just like the rhythm of the game is something that I did. I did the games by myself in the CBA. And that, I think, is part of what trained me to be able to, shall we say, carry a broadcast throughout the two and a half or three hours. So what about uh, our, our old pal Barkley kind of buried play-by-play uh, yeah. play on, the, on the radio the other day? Right. Uh, said there's no need for it. Uh, when when the uh, the switch came and zoom off, were you interested in the TV job? You filled in on TV. You've done a tremendous job. I know Kate got the job, uh, but did, did you have a desire to do TV, or or you think you're best as a radio man? I think this is a good fit for me. There's no doubt I, I had an interest in the job, but Kate is doing a fantastic job, and I'm so happy for her. You know, like we're all of us are together a lot. She's on the trip now as they're not doing the games, but she's still reporting. And to watch her do the job, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. For me, it's like, um, you, you again, you spoke of the shore earlier. It's like going back in the summer and stepping into the loafers that you've had for so many, and they fit perfectly. Like the radio works for me, and I'm fine with it. Again, and not like minimizing, but, I I feel lucky to have the job I have, like to be at this level and still being able to be a part of it. And you know what I mean? Like getting to, I'm, later today, I'm going to practice. <laughs> we play in a big playoff game. And, you know, as a basketball guy, I never take that lightly. So for, for sure, having started out in TV and then being a basketball announcer, that would have been a good fit. But I'm totally fine with my job and have loved it from day one. Ne- as I say, never take it for granted and feel really lucky. Uh, last thing is the, your signature of you kidding me. And I, here's the thing. A lot, of, a lot of announcers would rehearse something like that. I know with you, that just comes out like it comes out of every fan. We're watching the same game and we're going, are you kidding me with that? And, and I got to think that that's how it developed. And now it's become your signature. No, for sure. And I just, again, to go back a little bit, when I first started out, my roommate in Charleston, who now like owns five restaurants, And he used to tell me, because again, this is like Chris Berman was ESPN had just started. And he used to say, you you need a shtick. And in my mind, I was like, I need to be good before I have a shtick. People are going to laugh me out of here. And it finally, because you say it happened, it sort of happened when Iverson was teamed with Larry Hughes. And you remember, Mike, they used to throw those alley-oops and you were just like in wonderment, in awe, like, oh my God, are you kidding me? And then maybe even Stackhouse. And then it's just like some of our in our daily language, certain things are used in certain situations. It might be the referees that I listened to that smart call. And I said, are you serious? Like that's how it ended. And the Sixers won by a hair. So I honestly, I don't, I mean, I realize that it's, it's good to be recognized. Sometimes I'll be at these golf outings and people is going, Oh yeah, right. You're that. Are you kidding me guy? I'm like, yeah. Okay. It's fine, you know, but it's funny to be recognized for that. So I don't make, I just say it. And sometimes I'll go weeks without saying it. it's not like a conscious effort, but I guess I finally got a shtick. I'm the, are you kidding me guy? 
Tom, listen, we, we appreciate it. Uh, good, good luck with the broadcast tonight. I know you'll do a fine job tonight. I, I think this this uh, this series has gone seven. So I think you're calling a game seven in the Boston Garden, which should be like a really exciting time for you. Uh, and uh, all Sixer fans, even though they're going to be like on the edge of their seat, cl- chomping on their teeth the whole time. Uh, have a great broadcast tonight, man. And thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you for having me. All the best. All right, there he is, Tom again. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, it's time for Mike Unleashed. I got some spicy stuff to talk about on Mike Unleashed today. Let's let's start. Let's go uh, with the broadcasting industry. Uh, a couple of really disturbing things over the last couple of days. So let's start out in Oakland, where the broadcaster for the Oakland A's for uh, NBC Sports, uh, that regional network out there that has the uh, the A's on. His name is Glenn Kuyper. He is the brother of uh, Dwayne Kuyper, who does Giants games out there, was a former Major League player. Uh, he gets on the air with his, uh, um, his partner, Dallas Braden, who was a former A's pitcher who had that long beard. He, he was on ESPN for a while. Uh, and he gets on and he says, well, we had a great day here. In Kansas City, we first went to the, and he uses the N-word, Baseball Hall of Fame. I He used the, like, he, he didn't say Negro Baseball Hall of Fame. He said the other N-word. And it flowed out of him, like, and I, if you listen to it, you go, you're startled. You, you can't believe it. Uh, and so I go, uh, he's got to be fired immediately. Anybody, and, and listen, this is, I, I am so like emotional about an issue like this. If you've used that word and and you still use it, that's what flows out of your mouth. Like that's not a word. You should have that word filtered out of your brain. The fact that it came out, that N word came out of that guy's mouth. So, so easily tells me that he uses it regularly because that's what's in his brain. So I, I don't, I don't, he misspoke. What, what do you mean? He misspoke. How do you misspeak and say that word unless you've used that word before? I remember on the radio, somebody did this a lot of, many years ago, and I got a call from a guy. Oh, Mike, you're going to tell me you never used the word? I go, no, I have never used that word ever in my life. And you know why? Because I was told not to use it. As a little kid, I was told that it was offensive and it was a word that you do not say. And so, no, I've never used it. And I've also grown up with a lot of mixed cultures to the point where I understood that word was violative and, and nasty and and uh, uh, just like prohibited in anybody's language. For this broadcaster to say something like that, it is amazing that anybody who even knows the guy could come out and support him right now. Do, am, I, am I sorry he's going to lose his job? Yes, I'm sorry. Sorry that you were not mature enough not to use that word as a grown man. That's what I'm sorry about. As far as sorry you're losing your job, you definitely should use your job. How do you come back from something like that? So, you know, that, that, that first of all, that's the first thing of Mike Unleashed. Now, let me go to another, another part. Bob Huggins is on a Cincinnati radio station. Now, Bob Huggins is one of the biggest curmudgeons in the history of college basketball. He has always been uh, a loudmouth uh, uh, bore. 
uh, and tough, fake, tough guy type of thing, crude. Uh, uh, and so, I mean, people put up with him as it, that's the charm of Bob Huggins. So he gets on a, a radio station and he gets into the, this jocular talk, you know, they, what they call a locker room talk with the host. And uh, they've asked him if he's going to accept some, some uh, ever going to accept any Xavier players in the transfer portal. And he says no. And, and then he goes on to say the, that, that students at Xavier or players, Xavier are uh, Catholic. And he uses the F word, uh, the, the F word that, uh, uh, is a slang for homosexuals. And he says it blatantly. Like, just uh, and, and here's the worst part about that. Because I Huggins is a crude enough guy to to speak like that regularly. Because I've been exposed. To it's Huggins. like his brand. Yeah. Huggins. So, so in any event, uh, here's what bugged me most. The host of that show, and I don't know who the frick they are. They're yucking it up. Oh, oh, is it, isn't that Bob Huggins something? Like, what? How how do you sit there? The guy says that. You go, oh, it's Bob Huggins. Isn't he wonderful? Those guys should be fired. I don't know what's going to happen to Huggins. Those are the guys should be fired because he didn't stand up for anything. Stand up for something in this world for crying out loud. It's the only way you stop people from doing this stuff. All right. I had to get that off my chest on Mike Unleashed. Um, Let's move on to um, owners sitting at courtside. Uh, all right, Matt, Matt uh, uh, Ishbia is now the um, going to be owner of the, the Phoenix Suns. Paid a lot of money for it. Uh, Ishbia hit it big in the mortgage uh, industry because uh, he was gifted that by his father. I, lo- I love the people that just get a gift. You know, my father gave me. He gave me a smack on it on the head and said, "Get out there!" And do it. Like, he he didn't give me any kind of industry, right? So so maybe I'm jealous about that. So the kid fell into crap and and he he got out of crap and he, he was covered in gold. Good for him. He's also like a walk on basketball player at Michigan State. He was like those those Villanova walk ons you see at the end of the bench. Played a few games as a walk. So he's got some semi basketball background and he's a wealthy man who bought the Phoenix Suns. So the other day. You know, these owners sitting at at, uh, at at the courtside seats. I guess if you own the team, you could do anything you want. I liked it when the owner was upstairs, like not part of the game, not energizing the game. I'm tired of seeing Josh Harris, frankly, because I look at Josh Harris like you're you're an owner of many teams. How dare you sit courtside at a Sixer game? You know, your 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 loyalties are divided now three different ways to three different teams, including the Washington freaking Commanders. But uh, but I digress. Uh, Denver Nuggets and Phoenix Suns, very emotional series. The ball goes uh, off the court, and uh, it lands in the hands of Matt Ishby. It catches the ball. Jokic, who takes no mess, uh, comes over. He wants to get the ball. He wants to get the ball. He was inbounded quickly. Ishby holds on to it. So Jokic rips it from him, and then as Ishby like, is ranting, he, he kind of pushes him off with an elbow, and, and the guy falls down. All right? So now everybody wants Jokic suspended because uh, – uh, or he wants Ishbia evicted from, from the arena because if any fan that would do that would get evicted, right? Well, Ishbia owns the team. Now, I'm not stupid enough to think that you can evict the owner, okay? I, I get it. And he said the right things afterwards uh, that Yoko shouldn't be suspended. He wasn't suspended, which I think they got it right. They fined him $25,000, which is a drop in the bucket. But now Jokic has these uh, 
these crazy brothers. Man. You better, why, Ishmael better watch out for these crazy brothers. And you'll be lurking around the corner. You better look over your the shoulders when you're headed to your car, my man. But anyway, I'm, t- I'm tired of the Ishmael sitting courtside getting emotional. I'm tired of the Mark Cuban sitting courtside getting emotional. Sit down and watch the freaking game. I know it's your team, but come on. You can't be a regular fan acting like a, a goof uh, if you own the team. All Cuban's right? borderline center of attention during Mavericks games at home. Like, he makes yeah, himself and, the center and, of attention. And I'm over it. Uh, and I'm, I'm just tired of it. Uh, all right, let me uh, let me get to the Tiger Woods story. Uh, Tiger's in court today, or his lawyers are in court today, because Erica Herman is paramore that he, he dropped off at the airport <laughs> and said, and my lawyer, uh, no, we're not going to the Bahamas like I told you, but we wanted you to pack a bag because you're now evicted from my house. And, uh, and here's my lawyer deal with him as far as this non-disclosure agreement. Well, she wants to void the non-disclosure agreement based on sexual harassment because she claims that he threatened to fire her if, uh, if, if I don't know what it was, but if she didn't do a certain thing. So she's got that uh, on, on her side. Uh, and so she says that she wants $50 million. And uh, she wants $50 million because she was evicted from uh, the home that she, that Tiger promised she could live in for 11 years. It's a 30,000-square-foot home. How big is your house, Darren? Is it 30,000 square feet? I'm just going to say it's not 30,000 square feet. It's not 30,000 square feet? I do uh, fine, right, so wants, but it's not 30,000 square feet. She wants $50 million dollars. Um, uh, or $30 million, I'm sorry, because she says that's how much it would cost her to rent a property like the Woods Beachfront Mansion north of Palm Beach for six years of residence, which she claims she has six years left of, of the 11 uh, that she was promised uh, by, by Tiger Woods. Uh, so this case is in court today. We will certainly uh, update the Tiger Woods. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, this thing. I don't know why this thing makes me laugh. Uh, because they're inter- it's an interesting way to break up. You go, yeah, I can't get her out of the house. She won't leave. So what do I do? Okay, I tell, I'll go nicey-nicey. Now, hey, babe, let's go and reconcile our relationship with a vacation to the Bahamas. Meanwhile, he's got the, he's like planning to kill Carlo. You know, <laughs> it's like a scene from the cop father. All right, Carlo, here ticket, two tickets to Las Vegas. Uh, your wife is waiting for you in Vegas. We'll, we'll tell her when, when you, when, when you're on the plane. And then they and they they zip them uh, in the car. Isn't that kind of the same thing? They drop her off at the airport. They go, uh, yeah, I'll see you later. Here's my lawyer. We're not going to the Bahamas. In fact, you're not getting back in my house. I got all the locks changed. You're out. Your opinion on this, Darren? I I thought the same thing. That is a wild way to get somebody out. Of, like, first of all, what kind of a relationship are you in? And I know when you're dealing with that kind of money and the status that a guy like him has, if you have to live your life. That where you make the girl that you're dating sign an NDA, you got either too much money or you're a bad dude. Yeah. That's all. And he's probably a bad dude. And I love watching him on, at, at tournaments. There's nothing better than a Sunday at Augusta when hot, Tiger's in the hunt. There's nothing better in golf for television. Nothing. Or any major, really, if he's hanging around. But he's got to be like the worst guy, right? The worst. Yeah. You know, uh, there was another example of this that uh, involved somebody, a uh, very uh, attractive TV personality who was local, 
uh, who was living with a backup quarterback in Kansas City. I won't I won't bring any of their names, uh, but uh, there was a backup quarterback who played at Georgia, and his brother was on The Bachelor, and, and so uh, they were they were partying in Las Vegas in a big suite, and the woman happened to call him on the cell phone while the party was going on, and got real jealous and started uh, going crazy on him on the phone. And the guy finally got fed up. This backup quarterback got fed up and said, uh, we're broken up and you're evicted from the house. And uh, hung up with her and called his lawyers and had all her stuff taken out of the house. <laughs> but I won't, I won't say who, the, who those people were. <laughs> I only would tell you in a private conversation. Yes, I understand. Uh, uh, all right, and finally, on uh, Mike Unleashed, uh, people in Spain, the organizers of a race called the um, – Carrera de, Mu- de la Mujer, which is the race of the women in uh, Madrid. It was a seven kilo race for, for the ladies. And there's all kinds of hullabaloo going on out there because the first prize for the woman who finished the first was a food processor. Uh, now, uh, and they're saying that's a very sexist prize. So, Darren, your, your opinion on the on the food processor prize. <laughs> I would love to see the look on my wife's face if I got her a food processor for her birthday or Christmas. And you know my Maria. She would look at me like you motherfucker. What, what? <laughs> like she would crack me. No, seriously. Like she would like before, like a vacuum, like a husband giving a vacuum cleaner to a Yeah, here's a, here's a dustpan and the broom, baby. Have, in this day and age, how the hell do you have a race for women, a seven kilo race where the prize is a food processor? Yeah, what are you doing in Madrid? What's going on in Madrid? Making cash for crying out loud. Oh, man. All right. That, that ends Mike Unleashed for today. She would dick. Just throw my ass out. You'd be sleeping on the deck. I'd be sleeping on the deck calling you, Mike. I come over. It's raining. It's the Mike Yusinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to close it down for today. Just a reminder, we will have another post-game podcast, a mini podcast cast game reaction of game five. We've been doing it for every game. We hope you've been enjoying it. We'll do another. So you're listening to this in the afternoon. You hang around to later tonight and you get my views on game five on what we're going to happen. The Sixers again, a seven and a half point underdog, according to our Bet Rivers app right now. I don't know where that line's going to go. Maybe it comes down a, t- a tick. We don't know. But this is a Harden and B game. But somebody else has to contribute offensively because I don't know if you can count on 35 from MB tonight. And I don't know, certainly don't think you can count on 42 from James Harden. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you'll you'll uh, uh, hopefully tune in tonight on our uh, post-game podcast on the Bet Rivers Network, Mike Missinelli podcast. Again, if you want to email me, it is mike at mikemiss.com. And you can follow me. I'll be live tweeting tonight for the game at mikemiss25 uh, on Twitter. So uh, check me out then. And uh, again, check out my website, MikeMiss.com, for all things going on with Mike Miss, including some uh, events that are coming up at the Natale Vineyard. I was down there this weekend. A good time was had by all on Sauvignon Blanc Day. 
I sat there with a bunch of friends and and killed several bottles of Sauvignon Blanc in the in the nice sunny day. It was a beautiful day at Natalie Vineyards. You'll love it out there if you make a ride at Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. Uh, for Darren, I'm Mike Missinelli for the Mike Missinelli Podcast. Thanks for listening to this one. We'll be back tonight post-game with another podcast. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.